Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Creativity enthusiast and educator Joanne Nocera knows what it's like to stop listening to your creative spark, and she's done the work to get hers back. Now she helps students, teachers, and parents keep that spark alive. She joined me to talk about that journey, what she sees happening in classrooms, and most importantly, how to keep kids from losing that spark in the first place. As an added bonus, a lot of what she says can be applied to adults, too. She also shares her favorite creativity tool, neurographic doodling. Here's my conversation with Joanne Nocera. Joanne, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. I'm really curious to hear what you have to tell us today. Thank you, Nancy. I'm happy to be here. So I usually start out by asking everybody how they got their creative start. Were you a creative kid? Is it something you discovered later on? Yes, actually, uh, I'm one of three children in the family, and I was the creative one, and no one understood that. Uh, So my parents set up a room in the basement, and I used to go down there with no windows and just create and draw. So do anything I could to get my hands dirty and messy. I took uh, classes in high school, fashion classes. I took any kind of drawing, painting. I just loved it all. And then in high school, I wanted to go away to college. My dad did not allow me to. And so I changed complete paths, went to a two-year secretarial school, changed my course completely and wound up on the trading floor, the foreign exchange trading floor of Goldman Sachs. And it was at that, yeah, it was at that point that I realized I need to go back to school and to finish my degree out. And I only had a two-year degree at the time, finish my degree and do something that brings me complete joy. And the, you know, the lesson I learned really honestly was you have to listen to your intuition you have to listen to your your gut that tells you something's not right or something is wonderful and keep with it even though the outside says you'll never make a career out of that or that's not for you and so <laughs> it took me 11 years going to school at night to finish my bachelor's my masters and then dive into being an educator in the elementary schools and of course what do I do, Nancy? I integrate the arts Obviously. because every single time I realized, you know, how you have that light that goes dim on the kids and we find that in ourselves as well. There's a, there's a light that goes dim and you're like, what, what happened to the spark? What, what is not helping this child to be curious or creative anymore? What, what's going on? Of course, there's other factors that you see that happen in their home lives. But aside from that, when they come to that school, what is it that's stopping them? So every single time I integrated, whether it was visual arts, music, movement, you know, dance, theater, even stepping into a story, they came alive. <laughs> and so I would write grants, I would get money in and have resident, you know, artists and residents come in. It was great. There is so much in what you just said, and I want to kind of go back and and look at some more of that. I mean, it's fascinating to me that your parents set up a room for you where you could do whatever you wanted, Yes, but you couldn't go away for school. Was that 
because of my father was very strict. Or... Yes. My father, uh... my dad was strict. And so he kept us safe and he thought he was, you know, being protective. And so I rebelled. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to New York city. I went to a two year uh, secretarial school and graduated top of my class, made a speech at the Alice Tully hall in Lincoln center. And I'm thinking, wait, what, what did I just do? And so at the time they would send out the top students to go interview first. So there I was interviewing with Salman brothers, Goldman Sachs, all of those brokerage firms, because at the time in the eighties, it was where the money was at. You, you, well, why would you want to go towards something that doesn't make money? You're going to get married. You're going to have children. It was all of these, these pressures that were put on to women at the time that you had to conform to what people thought you should do. And I did not, um, I, I, I listened instead of my gut intuition saying, this is what you really need to do. So, yeah. Well, how did you pick secretarial of all things? Was it just, a uh, because at or? the time when I found out that college was not way college was not an option. I went to the guidance counselor. I dropped every course you could imagine. I took typing stand and comes this woman, you know, nicely dressed. I was so impressionable. I was like, wow, look at this. She's so put together. And uh, it, so it seemed exciting to me <laughs> to, to be in New York City. And I commuted and it was just uh, an interesting road. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling in part because I labored under the illusion briefly that I was going to be an engineer. And it was partially the same thing. It was like, oh, you get to make things and design things. And that seems so cool. Yeah. yeah. Hi, meet Calculus. Calculus yeah. has other ideas for you, Nancy, and they don't involve being an engineer. <laughs> right. So, yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating what can catch our attention and derail us that easily because we see something in it that doesn't really match the reality. Exactly. And I was looking at the outside instead of looking what was inside and what would bring me joy. And so I get to the foreign exchange trading floor. I spent about about six years at the time I met my husband. Uh, we had we had our first child and I left. Uh, but during that time, during those you know seven years at Goldman Sachs, I was going back to school at night, got married, I was pregnant, I'm in classes, pregnant writing papers on weekends, Ooh. three nights a week in the summer, anything I can do to get that degree done. And uh, it took 11 years total. <laughs> Probably was the reason why my marriage fell apart after 25 years. But you, you try to hold on as much as you can. Yeah, but yeah. at least you did it. You yes. Give up on I yourself. was happy that I did it. Yes. And, and they did help me out a lot. My, my family did help me with my children. And my husband at the time did help me a lot to, to make that dream come true. So. Yeah, well, and you know, a, a trading floor has got to be, for most really, you know, artsy creative people, as close to the polar opposite of what you want to be doing as you could possibly ask for. So, I mean, just imagining being in that environment all day and knowing, I mean, that is high stakes, high pressure. And I have to think, especially in the 80s, because everything was so crazy in the 80s. But, you know, and meanwhile, you're sitting there thinking, 
how did I get here? This is not where I want to be. I mean, that is just a yes. massive mental clash to deal yes, with. Yes, 100%. And that's why I did a 360 turnaround. And I knew that I had to stay there to pay the bills, to get me through college. And I used it as a vehicle. And in that moment, you know, what you do, at least for me, um, and I always would tell my students in the class, do something that brings you joy, right? So I would retreat to museums. I would get lost in galleries. I would do a subscription to the Metropolitan um, and, and listen to operas. I just did whatever I could take our classes, even in between doing all of the other stuff I was trying to do because I was suffocating when you have, it's like oxygen. You really need to fill your life and your soul. You know, there's a quote that says your body heals with play and your mind heals with laughter, but your spirit heals with joy. And so my, if your spirit's broken, you need to do what brings you joy, regardless of what people say about it you know we, we tend to let the judgment hurt us or the or you know we put judgment on ourselves some people put judgment on themselves like oh i'm not good at it and, and they won't even try something new but so i i do see that in in students a lot and yeah yeah and i i think that it's it's a cultural thing to a certain extent you know so many of us are told especially as kids and obviously it's the parent's job to make sure the kid doesn't do anything that's going to get them in trouble or hurt them. But right. at the same time, sometimes that carries over in, you know, a little too far into, you can't do that. You know, normal people go and get a job as a secretary or, you know, as a trader right. or, or whatever. Yes. And, and it, it just slowly chips away at the joy and the laughter and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, I did everything I could and I fought back and I made a life for myself that I'm really proud of. And I, I feel like I've impacted so many students and their lives. And the parents would say to me, "What? wait, Joanne, what did you do to get my child to love learning again? And I said, I really, I didn't. I just put a variety of different modalities in front of them and made them pick really. So I wrote a book called Give Me Back My Crayons. <laughs> <laughs> I love 10 keys title. to unlocking the creative child within. And so on page 40 of that book is, you know, like a little survey, like how does your brain unlock information? What brings you joy? And so um, once I found out what the, how the kids learned, I just put it in front of them. So it was, it was exciting to watch the light go off, the sparkle come back. A lot of fun. And you work with kids at all ages. Yes, uh, I'm now an administrator in South Jersey. And so I get to put stuff in front of teachers and kids. We set up a parent academy. We do monthly workshops, anything we could do to make that academic feel like it's reachable for every child. So we'll have family night, um, you know, family nights in terms of math night, reading night. We've had a STEM or STEAM, I like to call it because I put the arts in there, the A. Thank you. STEAM night. Yes. <laughs> STEAM night. And we've had family fitness night. We've had kids yoga and the head of, you know, the food services cooking up some recipes for the kids. Whatever, you know, you don't know what a child has an interest in. And so you have to put that in front of them and just give them an array of possibilities and make them dream. What do you see between kids when they're in elementary school 
and kids when they're in high school? So what happens is in elementary school, every child is curious. They, they want to know more about things. They can't help themselves. They, if you put things in front of them, they're, how does this work? What can I do? Right, by middle school, we've got so many social uh, issues that are imposing into their lives that they're more aware of what's going on around them. They are about their own happiness, their own curiosity, their own learning, taking control of who they need to be in their best version of themselves. So they stop asking questions, Nancy. They stop asking questions. It almost becomes procedural. Well, what time is my practice? Uh, you know, when are we having dinner? Is this going to be on a test? And that's the sad thing that's happening where curiosity is what if, you know, that to me, that's what I see they should be asking more of. You know, what if I figured out a math problem this way? What if I were able to act out a character? Would that help me retain that information better? Um, so I, I think that might be the issue. Do you think that's a developmental thing or do you think it's more of a, a cultural educational style thing? When I was teaching, we always kind of blamed that on standardized testing, but I don't know if that's really true or if that was just us no, making an easy answer. <laughs> I think that it also has to do with the environment. If, if the teacher's feeling that depleted, if they're feeling defeated, that they, they can't, they can't, they're having burnout right now, teachers in, in mass amounts. And so, um, thinking about how they could help if, if they're trying to, if they have to help themselves, how are they going to help the kids in front of them? The other thing is that some of them don't see a classroom that can be Socratic, that can be open, that can be constructive. They almost see it like, I'm going to give you a packet. You're going to fill out the packet and I'm you're going to determine if you have that, that knowledge in you. Well, if the child doesn't learn that way, maybe for the linguistic learners, that's great. But if the child doesn't learn that way, then that information is not going anywhere. And it's a cycle of failure that become, and then, you know, everybody, it's just like a trickle effect. What's the point of standardized testing if we're just finding out what they don't know? What, let's find out what they do know and how they do learn. And let's start to help them communicate. Yeah, because... Everybody doesn't relay information back the same way, right? So we all communicate differently. Yeah. You know, I, I did some tutoring several years ago and I had a kid, he was a seventh grader and he was a great kid. You know, he had lots of personality and, and whatever. And I got him doing creative writing because I was tutoring him with, with English and he would write these wild, crazy things, which was the thing that gave me hope because otherwise, you know, I would try to like find a way to, you know, in through things that he was interested in. I had never met a child before who had no apparent interests in anything. And he did things like archery. I think he might've played the violin and, you know, I'd say, okay, but what drew you to archery? And he said, my mom signed me up. Right. It's like, come on, there has to be yes. something. And I couldn't find anything. And it was just the most unnerving experience because I thought, mm -hmm. are you the only one who's like this? Or are there a lot more kids who are in your position now? And just to try to engage his curiosity was so hard because of that. I mean, I could refer to certain things, you know, 
pop culture stuff and whatever that he would understand. But to get him from a place that he had a natural interest in was almost impossible. And I, I don't know if you see things like that or. I have many, many times. I had one student who absolutely all he did was read, eat, drink, sleep, Harry Potter. As so when you can imagine when I wanted to have the informational expository writing unit completed for our grade level, how difficult it was because there were children writing about the Titanic and uh, the, the their favorite animal and their habitat. And all he he was so upset because he couldn't he couldn't have his Harry Potter in there, but I had to be a little flexible. And I said to him, what if you informed others about the world of Hogwarts? What if you did that? And so he just, his, he lit up again and he just started writing. So at the end of when it became the author celebration at the time of the author celebration, the students would get up and sit on this beautiful chair and they would read their writing. And I never handed out the paper. Like some, some teachers hand out like a certain stationary or loose leaf paper and they have to write their paragraphs and has to be neat and all this stuff. I allowed them. So the kids that were doing the Titanic, they were like literally out of construction paper, building the Titanic, the portholes were the paragraphs, right? So who had a scroll, who had a mobile with like index cards. It came time for him to decide what he wanted to do as his published piece. And he, he was struggling and he's like, I really want his face. I said, no, sorry, I want his face. I said, okay, I'll, I don't know how to draw it. I, I said, it's okay. We'll project it on the interact, you know, the whiteboard screen and it's okay to trace. It's not, <laughs> you know, not less of a person if you trace. Right. And so he grappled with, well, I said, well, what are you going to do? Index cards, a scroll? What is it? And he's like, no. And he runs over to the writing center where I had, you know, I always would have construction paper markers because that's where creativity, you know, you decide how you're going to present your information to us. He goes and gets this register tape because I had all these different kinds of uh, things, but he comes out with this huge, you know, register tape. It was pretty wide, but not that wide. And I'm looking at him and he's like, I'm going to write it on here. And I couldn't imagine. I said, well, maybe you want to, you want to type it. We have the computer open. You'll have computer time to type it. Comes the day of the author celebration. The kids were like, what's he going to do? Because they knew how he struggled and how he was so set on everything being Harry Potter. And they're like, where's his writing? It's, we don't see a scroll. There's no index cards. Where is the writing coming from? It goes, the scar. He's, he pulls the, the register tape out of the scar. <laughs> the whole class went, you know, now. Wow. The reason I do these things is not, first of all, I want them to feel confident about what lies inside of them, right? Their creativity. But think about what that does for the rest of the class. Cause you know, next time they're going to get that register tape. They're going to, they're going to get that piece of paper that was on this roll and thinking of all the different ways. Cause it's like the pebble in, in that lake, that ripple effect, you know, the metacognition that takes place that so we're thinking about our thinking, we're, we're thinking about how others are thinking, wow, I didn't think of that. And next time, and they, that, you know, that's going on in their brain. They're going to morph it, change it to make it their own. And that's what you want to create that curiosity that, wow, I never thought of it that way. And maybe I can do it in my own way next time. And so you've got, that's what I'm talking about, that environment. If you create that environment of we're not going to judge others. We're not going to make fun. We, this is a safe 
learning space and you get to be who you were meant to be in your own way. And right at the beginning of the year, you know, we let each other know, like, are you musical? Can you rap out that song? Can you rap out your information? You know, the 50 nifty state United States, (laughs) there are kids that need that song. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. I mean, come on, we can all still sing the alphabet song and that's right. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Did, did that end up opening him up to other things? Yes. Well, you know, the lat, the, the previous year's teacher came up to me in the beginning of the school year and said, Oh, you have, well, let's just call him David. Oh, you have David. Oh, good luck with that. You know, those teachers that do that. Mm-hmm. I never went to the last year's teacher never wanted to know what, you know, my students did because it's a new year. It's a new chapter. Right. It's a new, it's a clean slate. And so I was determined, you know, we're, and so she was so amazed and so happy that I was able to help him in, in lots of ways. And the class accepted him. It was just a whole social, emotional, academic combination that happened. It was just magical. Um, Do you have any ideas for how to keep the, the spark of curiosity that the little kids have from going out? I'm thinking especially of parents who might be listening to this. First, the parent has to know how the child unlocks that creativity and what kind of learner are they? And, you know, let's find that out first. Once we know that, then there's different ways that they could um, feel like whatever they're learning, they get, they understand that like, oh my God, I get it now. Do you ever hear a kid say that? Mm-hmm. Like, I get it because something went on because you, you, however you deliver that information, was how they just took it in. So something happened in that all of a sudden the light bulb went off. And then, you know, there's so many techniques you can use at home too, whether it's foldable, not every kid learns with index cards and memorizes definitions by writing them from a glossary onto an index card. There could be other ways to do it. And so uh, I, in my book, I have a lot of, at the end of each chapter, I have for parents and teachers, creative cues, like here's five to six things you can do. And then they take creativity break and they apply it. Uh, so there's mindfulness, there's journaling, there's meditation. There's all different kind of hands-on activities for those who don't know where to start to be creative. And it doesn't, it could be even a walk in nature, but from that walk in nature, you're noticing, and what am I noticing? I see, I hear you. I'm using the five senses. I'm now coming back. Can I write that somewhere? Can I record it on my phone? How it's, how it's making you feel. Maybe you're wondering something. You have a wondering question. I remember in one of my second grade classes, we used to have a wondering box. Literally, they would have this little index box. You didn't have to have an A to Z divider, but they would, whatever they thought about, like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci did that, right? Every time he had a creative thought, he wrote 7,000, what was it? 7,000 notebook pages on think, just ideas that would come to his head. He maybe never pursued, just thought about, he said, let me write it down. And what are you wondering about? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when we want them to wonder, it's not like, okay, now switch your brain. I want you to wonder right now at this moment. <laughs> maybe it comes in the middle of a, le- a math <laughs> lesson, right? Maybe it comes yeah. in the middle of, right. <laughs> Yeah, one that's not okay. a light switch, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why you can't compartmentalize learning. People think, okay, for the next 45 minutes, we're going to only do math. Well, you can mix math in several ways. When I did a lunch and learn program 
we 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 saw that the principal and I saw that there was we were deficient in geometry. A lot of the students couldn't grasp the concepts. So I created a lunch and learn program where the students would come during after their lunch during recess, and we would act literally act out or do hands-on things to help us understand concepts like perpendicular lines intersecting. Um, it just parallel all of those geometric, you know, angles, vertices, all of that. Well, we went from toothpicks and marshmallows. We went to bringing in our lightsabers and <laughs> intersecting lines. Okay. Right, stand, stamp, stand next to a parallel structure, a line that you see that's parallel. So the kids are, oh my god, you know, the window, Miss No Sarah, look, I'm standing in the door doorway, you know, the door frame. So it was, it was just, it was great to see that unlock and with their arms, they're making 90 degree angles. Got to do whatever you have to do. Listen, Nancy, if, if you're in, in education, you've got to do whatever you have to do to get those kids to learn. And somehow we think we have to take the fun out of it. That's what's right. scary. I mean, as no. you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the classrooms that I remember from mostly the eighties. Yes. which were better than the classrooms in, say, the 50s, but yes. still were more like the 50s than like now, thankfully. But, you know, I'm thinking not only was it we have a 41 minute period and we're going to be drawing parallelograms on the board and, right. you know, but, you know, I'm, all the kids, you know, like, in my school and probably in every school, you know, you had the different tracks. You had the college prep advanced and you had the regular college prep and then you had the generals. Can, I can't even, you know, I mean, how horrible would it be to be called a general? You know, <laughs> it, it was almost, I think from, because I was in the CPA track, but from where I sat, it was like a whole different world, you know, and I, yeah. I know from, you know, how many years on that those people have gone on to do plenty of fabulous and worthwhile yes. things. But back in high school, it was just like, mm, don't know about this. Um, but how many of those kids who were classified as generals might have been, mm -hmm. you know, in a different track if they had been taught differently? Right. You know, how many people do we lose because of that? When we have gifted or enrichment classes, it really is a whole process of learning hands-on and learning in such a different way. And we, we often think, no, it has to be structured. We want, we, for us to remediate a child, it has to be structured and it has to be a drill and memorizing. And no, it, no, something is not unlocking for them. And if we figure it out, I mean, the year that, that they wanted to give me tenure, they gave me 10 of the most, um, the, the children who had no hope, who had, who were in the, the lowest percentile of learning. And of course, that anthology, that textbook wasn't going to work. They weren't reading on that grade level. And so I had to differentiate instruction. I had to give them a book, each of them that matched their reading level. And how difficult was that to, to say, okay, I've got three, three, at least three to four levels of students, but we can also mix those students together when I need certain group work done. Because why? I'm only going to put the low level, even in the, let's say you, you consider them low functioning. 
in that low class, you're still going to have levels of learning, correct? So am I going to put all of the lower kids together? And why would I, in some cases, I need to do that if I had to um, give them a skill or a strategy to learn in terms of reading. But if I didn't make it fun, if I didn't have something sensory based, because you know, those kids need that they need to move, they need to, to, to touch something and move it around, whether it's a little switch, like we would put little letters on cards and things and move it around and scramble it up. And they loved all that. That's it's games and learning math through games. Why did we take the fun out of it? Once I did that, guess what? They started learning. They started achieving. They became a whole, they made a whole huge jump to the generals. They were now yeah. generals. And, and so the teacher who got them the, the following year said to me, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know. They want me to do what you did. I don't know what you did. And, and like nasty, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. what do you mean? We have leveled libraries, find out where their reading level is, get the books that fit them, right? So you can teach the skills that they need to know, challenge them with the next level up, and at the same time, send the books home that are on their level. Now, there are principal books out there. It's not like, oh, we have to have spend all this money and get all of these books in our life. I would go to garage sales, for God's sake. Go, go to garage sales. Find as many books as you can on the level. They would have printed, leveled, you know, Fonses and Pinnell would give lists and lists of book titles. Find out how they learn first. Give them the information that they need, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, at their reading level, and make it fun. That's it. It's, it's you know, I always, I have an acronym called SPARK. S is for survey. P is plan that lesson. A is for integrate the arts, music, movement, dance, theater, do whatever you can. The R is to reflect, did it work? Did, did the kids get it? What, what didn't it work? What, what, what happened that didn't, was it the carry through the independence? Cause it's like riding a bike, right? Did I, did I let go too soon? Right. Did I, I didn't hold them together, you know? Um, and then the K is just to laugh at ourselves, continue with the K. I, I know it, but we're, we have to admit we're all not perfect. It's like a dance. We're going to take two steps forward and sometimes some steps back. Life is a dance. You know, you're not going to get it perfect the first time. If, if it's not in your comfort zone as a teacher to teach certain things, but kids love to have fun. Readers theater, you don't think they love to act out a story? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite things when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, what I can't get past in this conversation and in general, but this is bringing it all, all up even more is just how we've kind of stigmatized play. You know, why, why do adults stigmatize play? Because, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I sit in a room and I watch kids playing with, you know, Lego or playing board games or whatever it is. And I cannot sit there and watch that and not, frankly, have all of my attention drawn to it. And if I'm honest, be more than a little bit jealous because they're getting to have all the fun. And I'm supposed to be over here having the grown up conversation, you know, (laughs) which is why usually I end up with the kids eventually (laughs) anyway. But but yeah, we've we've taken it so that, you know, grown up means no fun. And 
it, I think it hurts all of us. It doesn't just hurt the kids. It hurts all of us, especially, you know, when you've got people in a school who think school is serious and we are here to do work. It's like they're, they're eight. Yeah. There's also a a big emphasis on perfection. Mm -hmm. So think about when we want to decorate our homes or when we want to do something, everyone runs to Pinterest, right? Because Pinterest holds or social media holds this perfect image of how life is or this perfect image of how our homes should look or the cars that we drive or the little gadgets. And even when a child steps up and says, wow, I'm interested in something, why does it have to be something that has to be completely perfected? It has to be, okay, we're going to go from zero to you're going to play in the major leagues or you're going to go from here to you're going to be on the, the, you know, the ballet. New York City ballot. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be for a short amount of time they get to experience that? And if they say, well, that doesn't interest me anymore, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you've given up. It doesn't mean that. It means that we all change and we grow. We, We have to grow. We can't just stay in the same place and not learn anything new. And that's where curiosity comes in. If we don't learn anything new and or ask questions, we can't grow. Right. Right. We we'll right. just stay in the same place, right. you know, wanting to yeah, build. The kid doesn't have time. to play soccer <laughs> or violin from now till, you know, I mean, if yeah. they have an interest, I mean, I remember when my mom and dad uh, bought us a piano. It was my, my, oh, I have an older sister. I'm in the middle of my younger brother. And so my sister and I took piano lessons. We would walk down to the end of the, you know, the street. And there was a woman who gave lessons out of her home. And I remember my sister was after, you know, at least a year or two, she wasn't into it and that's okay. You know, I continued, uh, did I become a pianist, you know, concert pianist? No. And that's okay. It's, it's, do I play Christmas time and little jingles? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you, it doesn't have to be this perfection, uh, mindset, um, you know, and so I think kids have that pressure on them today. That they we didn't really have do. years ago that they, we just went out and played. We just went out and played. We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we put it on ourselves too. I mean, this is a small example, but I was getting this coming week's pep talk episode ready last night and I was putting the little YouTube thumbnail together. And after I did it, I noticed that I had forgotten to center the top line on the title. And I just looked at it and I said, I could go do it again. Mm-hmm. Or I could decide that I'm going to be okay with imperfection because this is one of the things that I talk about and we all struggle with it. And this is an opportunity yep. to just be like, look, I am not <laughs> perfect so- either. And here it is. And I'm putting awesome. it out into the world because no one will die because that line is not centered. Exactly. And it's okay. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I need to do this kind of thing more often because yeah, we get, we get so hung up on it. And I think it's because at least in part, because as adults, we put so much pressure on ourselves because for some reason we think we have to. I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. And then we pass it on, you know, like, right. well, I have to do it perfectly. So you should be able to do it better too. Like, Yes. And so what happens know. is the child then defaults to just letting you take over, letting the parent, whoever it is in the room, the adult take over, and then they become passive learners. Well, I'll just wait around until somebody tells me what I should be doing, tells me how I should think. And so you don't want that to happen. And I, I've seen that occur because they feel like they, they can't reach the expectation that the adults have made for them. 
Yeah. And then they also start to believe that they're not good enough. Exactly. Because yeah, that tends and then to that's the downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, the message for all of us as, as perfectionist adults. It's, yeah. you know, so that's my message from... in life is to keep that spark, to keep that curiosity, to keep that creativity alive, because I do believe it changes everything. It really yeah. does. Um, and, you know, Picasso, right, once said, uh, you know, our art washes away from the soul, <laughs> the dust of everyday life. Let's keep yeah. our soul full of joy. I really do believe that. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. Yeah. What brings you joy? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What brings me joy is, uh, among other things, doing these conversations because I have so much fun with them. But you know, writing, singing, going out and exploring, finding new things, and going, "Ooh, what's that about?" Love it. I love all of all of that stuff and hanging out with kids because they're fun. And you know, I'm I'm reminded as as we're talking about Ken Robinson's viral TED talk called Do Schools Kill Creativity? Because one of the examples he gives in that talk is of the girl who everybody thought was just not doing well at all until they put her in a room with a radio and she started dancing. And he's like, um, yes, this is, this is her thing. I, I don't know. I mean, because that went around, I don't know, a dozen years ago now so far. Yeah. He's, he's passed on now. Yeah, I know. Lost a good one. Right. We did. But I remember, you know, was sent out at the school where I was teaching and everything. And and I just, it totally lit me up because I was like, you're singing my song, pal. Um, <laughs> but it, it seems to me like in a lot of cases it was, ooh, this is a great talk and we should all watch it. And then nothing else happened with right. it. There's no application. Yeah. Right. And it's not something, you know, so many teachers say, well, Joanne, you're asking me to integrate the arts. I, you know, that's exhausting. I'm not good at it. You can collaborate with, you know, the teachers in your building. There's a way to come together for the purpose of getting that child to, to shine their light. You know, they have it inside of them. We've got to figure it out. We can't just let it go by the wayside. And so, you know, working together to integrate. Uh, there, there's so many beautiful pieces of artwork that you could show them uh, to illustrate different concepts that they're learning. Um, and, you know, you can build things. And we have, you know, maker spaces now in schools and to bring out the engineering in students or just design, just to design something. Think with your imagination and come up with something and design it. And if it fails, it's okay. Because so many of the inventions that happens were because it failed. I mean, think, look at Plato. Plato was made as a wallpaper cleaner back when there were coal stove, right? Remember the coal stoves? My grandmother used to drag the coal on the sled, you know, uh, in the snow um, to get, you know, to fire up the stove, but, and it would cause a soot to happen on the walls. And so they needed like a cleaner and Plato originally was made to clean that off the walls and the wallpaper. But what happened when technology took over, right? We had gas, electric, there was no need for Play-Doh. They repurposed it. Something from a failure now is the hottest selling toy. Of its, you know. I had no idea that Play-Doh yep. had that history. That's yeah. so funny. So you never know what something could be and have its purpose for. So <laughs> never give yeah. up on it. You never know. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, even if, even if somebody who was, you know, 
creating Plato deliberately, yes. just as an example off the top of my head, you know, came up with 37 different recipes and they all failed. Right. Every one of them teaches you a little bit, okay, what didn't work? This combination didn't work. So what else can I try? And you eventually figure out, oh, it's the cornstarch that's the problem. And if I replace <laughs> it with, you know, whatever else I'm making this all up, yeah. you know, it works better. It, you know, yeah. failure is is so vilified too. Like failure is the end, your life is over. But failure is such a great teacher. Yes, it is. It certainly is. And if you make that environment, whether it's in your classroom, your job, in your home, to say that it's okay, well, it's a lesson. There's a reason why it failed. We have to learn something from it. There's a lesson learned. The lesson that I learned by taking the 11 years to go through school at night was I was able to appreciate things in so many different ways. And so when I was ready to go into that classroom, I brought it, all of that learning experience with me the difficulties that I had and the hardships, whatever it was, you, it forces you to make your life because you are in control of it and you can redirect it into a positive you know, way. And so everybody needs to know that it's, it's okay to have struggles, to have, to overcome difficulties. Yeah. People think, oh, you know, you're so positive, Joanne. You're always upbeat. Oh, think you must have a perfect life. No. Um, I have an imperfectly perfect life and I love that about it. It's, it's not perfect and it's okay. And, you know, I do make mistakes along the way we all do, but we have to see that there's good on the other side. Right. Yeah. And you may be better at accepting the mistakes than they are. I wonder if that's what they see. I don't know. Like, how, do you, how do you do that? Because that would make you, you know, happier, more easygoing. And so, yeah, I can see how that could be a factor. I don't know. Again, making this up. But but yeah. And and I'm actually, I've been wondering too, as, as you've been talking, like when you have teachers who say to you, I don't know what to do with these kids. I don't know how to do what you did, whatever. Mm-hmm. I I mean, you must be spending a lot of time teaching teachers different ways to teach. And I'm wondering, you know, do do you see a difference in the teachers who take that on and and learn how to do it as human beings as well as as teachers? Yes, I've I've seen a, a, a huge amount of teachers change over time because they gave something a try. So if you're not going to try, if you're not going to even see if it's going to work, then you've already decided the defeat, (laughs) you know, it's going to be, well, I guess you're going to do the same thing you've always done. You're going to put up the same bulletin boards every year. You're going to give out the same packets of information and you're still going to see the same results. So how can we change something along the way? One thing, it doesn't have to be, you have to overhaul the whole thing. What is one thing that you see that could connect to something that they're learning? What could you bring into that classroom? that could connect to what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, one year we, um, the teachers and I got together and we had the art show in May. And so that we decided we wanted to make uh, these painted pickets so that the entrance of the school was like this happy, artful looking place. And so I called up Carl's fencing and said, hey, could you donate a hundred pickets? <laughs> And I, I primed them out, you know, in the back by the, by the uh, playground, got them all ready. And so we did a fundraiser 
And so at the end of the art show, the parents and the children went into the cafeteria. They picked up their picket. We had a palette of paints and they went off. We played Mozart in the background. They were so relaxed. And so they had to paint a picket. It could be their their family's name. It could be things that are important to them, little icons, things like that. So, you know, there are some families that just took out their phone. And what did they do? They were scrolling because they weren't trusting what was inside of them. They were afraid of what was going to, what, what they would put on that picket. They wouldn't be proud of, but you have to be proud of it because it's come, it comes from you. And there's only one, you you're magnificently made, right? There's only one. So I, I applauded the, the parents that really showed their child. It's okay. Sure. Let, let's put some butterflies or flowers or whatever. You want to put a baseball bat, whatever resonates with you and your family. That's what they put on that pit, that picket. And we mounted them up on like an L shape of a um, fencing. And that's, that's the entrance of our building. And it was, it's, it was such an exciting time. And I, you know, you, you want to encourage people to say, you've got this. It's inside of you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, it's such a, at the very least, reluctance to trust yourself. And I think, you know, it's the same thing with the teachers you were describing. And I, I cannot imagine, and maybe I'm wrong because not everybody is like me, but, you know, I didn't become a teacher so that I could do the same things over and over again every year. And, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in that rut. It's like, oh, I already did this. I don't need to do it again. And the next thing you know, you're doing the same thing for the, you know, 10th year in a row. And you haven't thought about it. And and the same thing with the parents, you know, the parents are like, oh, I don't know what to paint. I, I have to wonder what they were what they were Googling, because I can't imagine how to paint a picket comes up very with much on Google. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, at some point, you have to take the leap and you have to trust yourself. Well, say, so what? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to you know get. what happened. Right. So, you know what happened. So those parents that took out the phones, they kind of took over the play. Right? They took over the session and then instructed their child, well, just paint over here. Don't don't ruin it. You know, those words don't ruin it. You're ruining it. <laughs> and I what do you say? I'm like, no, that looks great. It's fine. And I'm trying to be on the other side, encouraging, you know, trying to lift the child up because they're going to default again. They're going to default. And all right, then you just tell me what I should do because it's easier. I don't want to fight this upward battle. Right. And they lose their voice. They're not seen, heard or understood. And that's also my mantra, helping kids be seen, heard and understood. I just, you need to let them be. It's going to be okay. I love that. I want They're going to be fine. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think parents get so, what's the right word? Scared isn't quite it, but, but, you know, there's just like so fixated on everything being right for their kid. And, and when you do that too much, it just becomes controlling mm. and it completely undermines the whole yeah. effort. And it's, it's really tragic because then you do have a kid who doesn't trust himself, who doesn't have the the courage or even know that it's possible to go out on a limb and try something new yes. and that follows them their entire lives mm-hmm. if they're not fortunate enough to find something that gets them to reconsider that. Yeah, so you want to put as many experiences in that child as you can. 
visit as many places as you can, even if it's national parks, museums, you know, the local zoo, because you don't know what they're going to be in life. And if you don't give them those experiences, get them off the devices, get them out into the world and show them that there's a whole world out there. There's so many things that you they could possibly do. Yeah. yeah. And then there are the parents who try to tell their kids what they are going to be. Right. Because maybe it's the trending or it's the highest paid job out there. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kid hates it. What am I doing? I've wasted my life. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all tragic. Uh. <laughs> On a happy note. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, we're, we're building optimism. We're building positivity. We're, we're going to integrate the arts as much as we can. Um, at least that's my mission. And I know what, what effects come from it. Really, learning takes place in all modalities, and you've got to expose the children to so many uh, experiences and opportunities. You know, we, uh, yeah. one, one year I wrote a grant on lighthouses and literacy. And so we went to the two local uh, lighthouses. And at the time, I, I, in the grant, I wrote to, to buy a flip camera. Of course, you can imagine the jumpiness of the, of the film, but the kids were able to direct really what they were viewing. They recorded it. They wrote their script. And I'm, I'm going to, I could guarantee they still remember the lighthouse to this day. Uh, so many of them still keep in touch with me, but learning can happen outside the classroom. It doesn't need to be in and of the four walls. We've learned that through COVID when you know, teachers would put on, you know, that we would take field trips virtually. The kids never knew they can do that. But to see it in person is also um, a great experience as well. Do whatever yeah. you can. And they, they learned about the Fresnel lens. Think about the science in that, right? The structure, engineering, how did they make, you know, um, those structures? How did that happen? Why is there a spiral staircase? Why isn't there just one, you know, so we really, got, you get those curiosity questions happening when you're in and about. And, you know, a one thing a parent can say is, what are you wondering about? Are you, you know, when you visit any, anywhere you go, it doesn't matter. What, what are you wondering about? Oh, I wonder what, you know, or how, I wonder how those are great leads to conversations that parents can have with their children. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we need to stop thinking of creativity and play and learning as three separate things. Right. They really, they really just don't worry about it. Let it all happen the way it's going to happen. Because <laughs> I, you do that, I'm doing it will lead a yeah, lot of the way. I'm doing a workshop on Tuesday with neurographic doodling and expressive writing. So they're going to the end result is they're going to have this beautiful neurographic doodling picture. And then they're going to do, they're going to write uh, expressively to create a poem. And, you know, we don't realize like people want an immediate like change, a transformation, like, okay, I'm going to this workshop. Am, am, am I going to be creative at the end? Well, it's going to, it's just, it's the beginning of a journey. <laughs> it's, it's not an immediate gratification. And we live in a world of immediacy, mm -hmm. but we, we have to understand that things take time. And sometimes to be creative, you sometimes have to just daydream. You have to just sit back and be still. 
and and I know that's hard for a lot of people. They, you know, we're always on this roller coaster ride. I've got, I'm moving. I've got to go here, there, and what do you mean? Speed is is progression, but sometimes you just have to be still, and you think that all of a sudden things come to you. Yeah, and I think that we tend to confuse speed with productivity now, and I think that's a false comparison. I think mm-hmm. when you speed through everything, you don't notice anything, and you look up and a year of your life has gone by, and you didn't even realize it. Whereas right. taking some time to slow down and just be still and and even be bored, which feels like a revolutionary <laughs> idea at this point, but when you're mm-hmm. bored, you give your mind a chance to just flit off into all the places yep. that you're not letting it go the rest of the time. Yeah, you, you can actually not only get at least as much done, but have the experience and remember the experience instead of rushing through it and yes. losing it. Yeah. And, I and think- that's why there's so much on mindfulness today and mm-hmm. just being mindful of what, what your surroundings are to, you know, breathe deeply because stress can really take its toll oh, yeah. <laughs> on children, on adults. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up neurographic doodling because that was something that I wanted to ask you about. I had never heard of that before and I looked it up and I was intrigued, but I would love to hear about your experience with it. If you can tell uh, everybody what that is. Neurographic doodling is a way of, you start with circles and then you extend lines going through the circles. And so a Russian scientist developed this. Um, it's really art therapy in a way, because as you are softening every sharp corner, so when you look at it at the paper, you're thinking about, let's say, what, what you're not at peace with or what you need to problem solve with for a moment. As you soften those sharp corners, your brain is actually coming up with solutions to it. And so it's amazing how that technique, that process, it really is a process, will help you bring peace and calm to your life. And so it becomes it becomes art and therapy as well, but it's a way to relax yourself. And so every participant that I've had the pleasure of um, being in contact with in in this uh, endeavor has seen great results from it. So I encourage you to do that. You start with three circles. You draw a line from one edge to the paper, going through each circle, uh, going out to another side of the paper. And everywhere you see a sharp corner, you smooth it, play some relaxing music, fill in those little circles and bubbles with color. It could be watercolor, crayons, I can't tell you, Nancy, how relaxing it is, and they will see the results of it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you mm-hmm. usually pair it with writing? Since you just mentioned, I do together. Yes, I do, because I I see so many times people have thoughts that come into their mind, thoughts of how they're going to repair relationships, thoughts about how they're going to solve something that they're not at peace with, or maybe they're remembering, uh, you know, someone in their family that they've lost something that they're not at peace with, that they need to get out that story. It doesn't have to be beginning, middle and ends. It just can be just keep writing, you know? Wow. Is there like a good 
YouTube video or website that people could check out if they want to learn? Um, yeah, there's lots. Of, I'm sure there's lots of YouTube videos out there. Definitely. Um, that's how I found it. I found it on a blog. I forgot the blog, but um, it was just, it was a game changer for me. <laughs> I think it was like neurographic.art, art, um, something like that. It, but yeah, it's Pav- Pavel. Pisco, I hope I'm, I'm not butchering this name. It's a Russian uh, psychologist, Pavel Piskarev. Piskarev. Well, send me the name and okay. I'll put it in the show notes so we can okay. Google it and, and look it up because I think I I certainly am intrigued by it. It sounds like you know the whole adult coloring trend kind of bumped up a notch, and yes. I'm curious to to try it out, especially with the writing since that was yes. not mentioned in the the page that mm-hmm. I found. Yeah, learning how to color outside the lines. Really, that's what it is. You're forming those circles and those those beautiful um, looks like neurons, like in your brain. It almost looks like that. That uh, so it's it's exciting to watch. Everyone's are, are, they're so different. Oh, I bet. Yeah, and I'm sure what they what they write about afterwards is really different. I could see where you know, kind of occupying your left brain makes room for your right brain to kick in and put things together Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Yes. I, I love the book writing down the bones. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a lot of inspiration came from that book. Yeah. Yeah. That's Natalie Goldberg. She's been around for Natalie Goldberg. It's a classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I really am so intrigued and grateful for all of this work that you're doing to reach kids who might not otherwise be reached and to bring creativity and play back into everyday life. I think it's fantastic and amazing and we need more of you. Thank you. <laughs> I just it's doing what you love. Just just want everyone to to do what brings them joy and get that passion back, get the spark back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have lost it. And ignite the spark. <laughs> yeah. One little thing every day to reignite the spark sounds like a yeah. good way to start that process to me. So, and hey, you have a whole book called Give Me Back My Crayons. And I have a feeling that adults who are feeling a little bit like they would like their crayons back too <laughs> might find some things in there that they would find useful whether or not they have kids. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming and talking with me today. I have really, really enjoyed this. Oh, thank you too. I'm, I'm honored to speak with you, Nancy, and uh, it's been a pleasure today. That's this week's episode. A big thank you to my guest, Joanne Nocera, and to you for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please pass it on and leave a review. I'm grateful for your support. You know, I talk to people all the time who are feeling totally lost, overwhelmed, and stuck creatively. And I know there are lots more of you out there who are feeling the same way. So I made something to help. Check out the link in your podcast app for my creative tune-up kit. It's $37, super affordable, and it's full of my favorite coaching tools to help you rediscover your creative self and make progress fast. I would love to get it into your hands so that you can get unstuck and create beautiful things this year. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. 
If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners.